Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. Pastor Ben Pitney has a message titled, I am food, I am life. Join us in John chapter 4 verses 27 through 42. At Vail Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. Good morning. Hope you're doing well today. I teach from the New English Translation, if you're new with us. It's the one that Paul used. And so uh, you, need to do, you need to use it. Otherwise, you're, 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 it's not, you're just not using the best one, right? And the most accurate one. And don't get me going on why. Unless you really want me to. You want to sit down and talk about it. I'll take all your other Bibles away just like that in one conversation, okay? Um, It's really important that you look for yourself. I'll put it up on the screen a little bit, and you can follow along with me. I'm doing that on purpose, but just know I'm doing it reluctantly, okay? So I want you to follow along because that's how uh, big a deal it is. Here's uh, a little bit what's going on, right? We've journeyed through now this particular story in chapter four, this would be our third Sunday in this story because it's so big. And so John's doing something and we're gonna find out what that is. But what I wanna do is I wanna read the rest of the story, all right? And I'm gonna do just like always, I'm gonna draw the truth out of the text and I wanna say, what's this have to do with me? But first we have to read it together. So start in verse 27 of the gospel of John and let's uh, finish up the story. Keep in mind what Jesus has just said, I'll say last week, but you know what I mean right, where we were last week, he just said, hey, you know, Messiah, the person you're talking about, that's me, okay? Now, you read in verse 27. Now, at that very moment, his disciples came back. They came back because they went into town to get stuff, right? They were shocked because he was speaking with a woman. Oh, my gosh. However, no one said, what do you want? Or, you know, basically, what are you doing? Or why are you speaking with her? And we'll get to that. This is kind of crazy. All right. Verse 28. Then the woman left her water jar or her bucket, right? She went off into the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Surely he can't be the Messiah, can he? So they left the town and they began coming to him. Verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, that's Jesus, Rabbi, Eat something. But he said to them, I have, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. So the disciples began to say to one another, no, no one brought him anything to eat, did they? <laughs> it's kind of funny, right? And Jesus says to them, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me and to complete his work. Don't you say there are four more months and then comes the harvest? I tell you, Look up and see that the fields are already white for harvest. The one who reaps receives pay and gathers fruit for eternal life so that the one who sows and the one who reaps can rejoice together. For in this instance, the saying is true. One sows and the other one reaps. I sent you to reap what you did not work for. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Now, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the report of the woman who testified. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they began asking him to stay with them. He stayed there two days 
And because of his word, many more believed. They said to the woman, no longer do we believe because your words, for we've heard for ourselves. And we know that this one really is the savior of the world. Now, there's a whole bunch of stuff to unpack in there, and we're going to do it. All right? I promise we're going to do this. So let me lay out for you. I, I, I think this is really important in particular today. What does this have to do with me? I usually save that to the end, but I'm on to you. Because then you go, oh, this is the end. So I'm going to start with the beginning. Now, you're going to have to work at it, though, because it's not going to be like, oh, uh, you told me the end of this story, and I get it. It's going to be a little bit more like, what? And then you're going you're gonna to have to work through why this is what this has to do with you and I. Does that make sense? So here we go. Number one, what does this have to do with me? We're going to find out. Jesus is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. Well, I know that. Okay. But his food is to accomplish God's purpose and to be food that gives eternal life. And his words are kind of strange when he says that. But he's basically, what we're going to find out more, he's saying he is life-giving food. He sows seeds into the world and he reaps eternal life. So there's this agricultural thing going on in here. And we need to remember, we're not very many of us, I don't think, are farmers, but you plant that sowing seeds, you plant seeds, and then after four months, you harvest the seeds, you reap the seeds, all right? The fruit that comes from the seeds is what I mean. Okay. Now, we'll, we'll figure um, this out together because he says a lot more about this. Number two, uh, his coming is the beginning of the Messianic age. He is Messiah, and he's telling everybody he's Messiah. Messiah means he's coming from God. He's God, all right? So the old way of four months between sowing and reaping don't apply. God is full of surprises. We're going to find all this out, all right? Jesus can do anything he wants. And what I want you to know is that we should be praying for spectacular things when you sow seeds, when you put it out there, when you tell your story, when you plant some seeds, and reap them. We should be praying that God utilizes all of that kind of stuff. We're a part of his mission and his mandate. That's what the church's purpose is. That's what the purpose of Christ followers are. We're to sow seeds. Get them out there. All right? The gospel, right? And then number three, here we go. All of our work is important. So all of this that we do, that we engage in, it's work. Church isn't a consumer thing, actually. If you're coming just to get, you can get some good stuff here. There's great stuff in the cafe, right? There's cool stuff going on for your kids. There's awesome stuff that you can get, your children can get if you install them into the middle school thing, the high school thing, youth ministry. There's tons of stuff going on like that. And if you're coming to get those things, that's great, but that's really not what the church is designed to do. This is a place to become equipped and trained so we can get out there and be about our mission. The byproducts of doing that are you get some great stuff. In fact, I think you get the best coffee in town right here. Honestly, most church coffee, not a Vail Christian church. Okay? Now, <clears throat> all of the work that we do is important. God uses sinful, forgiven men and women to sow and to reap. Isn't that amazing? He uses all of us. This is what this has to do with us. This is why this woman and her story is featured. And we are always entering into the labor of another, especially Jesus. So 
This was his main food. My food is to do the will of the one who sent me and to complete his work. And on his way to the cross uh, where he died for our sins. So he says in John chapter 17, verse 4, I glorified you on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. So God the Father gave Jesus the Son work to do. All right. Jesus is fully God. And we experience this a little bit more as he reveals that we are in he is in, this is where he's saying, we're in the messianic age. That's why Jesus came to do. All right, now, what I want to do is I want to pray. I really want to pray for some specific reasons. I want to pray for God's help to help me and to help you. But before I do, I want to show you from the text why prayer is such a big deal and why it's so vital. I've been doing this a little bit along the way. I did one whole message that coupled, made sure that we couple prayer and Bible reading together, that you can't, they're inseparable. But what I want to show you is that for the fourth time today, we're going to see in this gospel, John shows us the spiritual blindness that Jesus deals with in humans almost all the time. People are spiritually blind, either because we are dead in our sin and we can't see things and we're unbelieving and we need to be born or reborn again or the New English translation says, born from above, born from God, right? Or because as believers, people who've been reborn, our spiritual eyes have grown weak, we're unresponsive to Christ because of the world and the culture that we live in, and we just get distracted, we get covered up, you could say we get calloused, right? And our, our, our worldview and our thinking gets warped and influenced by the world. And pretty soon, we're just not seeing the truth very good, especially if you don't spend time in God's word. That's why I want to pray. So I want to show you four pictures of our blindness before I pray and why praying is so important. Four pictures. Actually, since we started this, John gave us four pictures. Look at John chapter 2, verse 19. And you can just start there. Here's the first picture. Jesus says, we've already saw this, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. Then the Jewish leader said to him, this temple has been under construction for 46 years and you're going to raise it up in, you know, three days? You know, come on. They could not see spiritually what Jesus was talking about and the lesson was clear. He's talking about his own death and resurrection. He's he is the presence of God more than the temple is, and that when he rises from the dead, from then on, he'll be the place where people meet God and worship. They can't see it. They're blind. They didn't see it. They're focused on the 46 years it took to build that temple, and he's not even talking about that, right? Here's the second picture of blindness, John 3, 3. He's talking to Nicodemus. We spent a bunch of time in this. John 3, verse 3, I tell you the solemn truth. Unless a person is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can you be born when you're old? He can't enter into his mother's womb and be born a second time, can he? And he's kind of sarcastic about it because he, you know, he's saying, this is ridiculous. He can't even see this. And here's a guy who knows his Bible really well. He's well-respected. He's super smart. He's read the Bible a lot, and he's spiritually blind, right? He's dead. He couldn't see what Jesus is talking about. There's a second birth that's a spiritual birth. What? It brings about something that didn't exist before, a living spirit and the ability to see the glory of God in the face of Christ. 
Nicodemus couldn't see it. He couldn't see it, could he? He was blinded. And then the third one is in John chapter 4, verse 10. Jesus says to the woman at the well, we've already been there, right? We were there last week and the week before. This is the third Sunday. We're here. He said, if you had known the gift of God and who it is who said to you, give me some water to drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And she says, sir, she says, sir you know, you don't have a bucket and the well's deep. Where then do you get this living water? All she's thinking about is carrying that heavy bucket of water around when she doesn't want to in a place she doesn't really want to go get it. Because she feels ashamed and guilty and all these things, right? She can't see it. She can't understand what Jesus is talking about, the supernatural spiritual life that comes from receiving Christ himself. And he is the supernatural life, and she's like, she's focused on H2O, right? Okay. And then the fourth is here in the story today. We just read it. In chapter 4, verse 31, his disciples say to him, you know, they're urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he says to them, I have no food to eat, or, or I have food to eat that you don't, you don't know anything about, right? So the disciples begin to say to him, well, no one brought him anything to eat, did they? What is this? They, 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 they don't get it. They're actually talking about physical food. He's talking about totally something else, right? I'll raise this temple in three days, and they focus on it took 46 years to build the temple. You must be born from above. How can a man be, you know, born when he's old? He can't enter into his mother's womb and be born a second time, can he? I'll give you living water. You don't have a bucket. I have food to eat you know nothing about. Who brought Jesus something to eat? Totally blind. They're just not getting it. Now, we really need the help of the Holy Spirit. Why? Why does John keep showing us these pathetic responses to what Jesus is revealing? Why does he keep doing this? John just keeps hammering this blindness and these responses to the point where you're like, what's wrong with these people? They don't get it. I mean, you got to be really, really careful. I mean, this is you and I. This is you and I. I, I promise you, I've met some of you. I'm like, Man, I don't understand how come you can't see this. Have you ever spoken to someone, anybody, and you're like, you just don't get it. You're not getting it, right? Why does this happen? And why does he keep giving this? Here, number one, he does this to remind us over and over again, all right? We need to be reminded. John 1, 14, and verse 16. What do we need to be reminded of? The word became flesh and took up residence among us. We saw his glory, the glory of the one and only, full of grace and truth, who came from the Father. Who, who is, this is Jesus, right? And that we have all received from his fullness, one gracious gift after another. That's the first reason. The second reason John keeps doing this, he does it to remind us that without the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we're spiritually blind, we're weak, we're unresponsive, just like the Jews, just like Nicodemus, just like the woman at the well, and just like the disciples. Now, everybody ought to be able to see themselves in this. John chapter 3, verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. We need the majestic, we need the sovereign, 
life-breathing. We need the eye-opening. We need the heart-wrenching, stirring work of the Holy Spirit of God. That's why we need to pray. That's what we need because all of these people are smart people. I mean, I mean, he's got disciples with him who've spent already a bunch of time with him. Nicodemus, a really great scholar of the Bible. This woman at the well, she's, she's no dummy. She's, she's covered up by a bunch of stuff, though, and she can't see. She's blind. We're all blind for some reason. So this is why we need to pray in connection to, actually, the truth resting on our heart and saturating us. Will you pray with me? Now, when I say that, are you listening? Will you pray with me? Not, let me pray and you listen to me. We do that a lot. It's easy to do. I'm asking you to pray with me. That's the beauty of the sovereign king of the universe. He can hear all of us at the same time, whether you got all the great words or not. So you pray. I'm challenging you to pray with me. Father, Father in heaven, have mercy on our messed up, dead, numb, blind, unresponsive hearts. Lord God, would you breathe spiritual life into the core of who we are? Father in heaven, open the eyes of our hearts. Illuminate us, please. Light up our minds spiritually. Wake us up and give us the ability, Lord God, to see, to taste, to know, understand, and grasp the spectacular Savior Jesus Christ in your word. Father, we want to pray this in, in, in the name of Jesus because when we speak Jesus' name. We know that it is full of compassion and mercy and majesty. We're praying this in the majestic name of Jesus. Amen. Oh, can you imagine? Could you pray like that before you read God's word? What do you think will start happening? You know, I just challenged you last week. I said, what if everybody just didn't drink soda for three months? It would totally change you, I, I promise. Um, it, it, it just would. What if you just said, I'm giving it up? What if, what if everybody just prayed like that before he read God's word? Do you think that he would do it? I think he would. I think he does. I know. So there's three pieces of, of kind of this text that's left that we're going to dig into. The way John tells the rest of the story about the woman at the well, it's, it's actually super unique here. And it's a little complicated. I'm going to try to do my best not to make it too complicated. But he deals with what happens to the woman and the town people, right, in in kind of two different ways, two different pieces at the beginning and at the end of the story. And then in the middle, between those two things, he gives us some words of Jesus and and that Jesus is giving to his disciples. And it really explains what's happening with the woman and the town. So I want to focus on what happens with the woman in the town first because it's directly connected to you and I, all right? Look at verse 27. Now at that very moment, his disciples come back, right? And they walk into this scene and they're shocked. You're talking to a woman. What in the world? Why are you doing this? Then the woman left her jar. She goes into town and then all this happens. And what happens, right? Um, She says, hey, you got to see this guy. Come see. He told me everything I ever did. 
Surely he, he can't be the Messiah, can he? So they left town. They began to come, come to him. So she leaves the bucket, goes into town, tells everybody she's indiscriminate. Everyone gets told. Not just people who are going to listen, it seems like to me. Everybody gets told. The whole town. Town. Now, towns are different now. But I don't know. You can imagine just going around Vale and just going, hey, listen. <laughs> I mean, so, so think about this for a minute. In spite of how hesitant she was to talk to Jesus about her tawdry, sordid life. Remember, she's had five husbands. And now she's living with a boyfriend. So sounds kind of bad any time. But in this particular time, this is real bad. Like, man, lady. What about all those guys, right? So she says he knows everything about her and wonders out loud if he might be Messiah, the Christ. Jesus has said that he was in verse 26. And in verse 30 says the people were coming to Jesus. Now, this is awesome. Jesus is talking to a woman. That's really my next point here. So it's not the main point of the text, but it is pretty interesting how John points this out. He thought it was important to mention that the disciples were basically beside themselves and that he was talking to a woman. Now, why? Look at verse 27. They were shocked, right? Because he was speaking with a woman. Remember in verse 31, when they call out, they call Jesus rabbi, rabbi, you need to eat something, Right? In Jesus' day, men in general and rabbis in particular did not publicly talk to women. They talked to women, but not in public. And for many of them, it's not just because of it being inappropriate, but being out of misogyny. The deep distrust and disrespect and dislike of women. Women were not taught the Torah, and they were not treated by and large, with respect and tenderness and appreciation. So Jesus treated women differently, though, right? You can go through all throughout the, the New Testament, and you can see Jesus treated women differently. He treated his mother differently. He treated uh, Mary Magdalene, the, women, the woman bent over for 18 years, the um, Syrophoenician woman. He treated Mary and Martha different. He treated the widow with two coins differently, and all kinds of other women. The main point that I think comes from Jesus is that God created man, male, and, and woman, female, in his image with equal value, equal dignity, but differing in roles, complementary, honorable roles. And Jesus put in motion a reversal of the effects of the fall of Adam and Eve sin, right? He, he put something else into motion here in, tor- in terms of restoring that. The fall of Adam and Eve predisposed women, you may not like this, but he, it predisposed women, especially ladies, if you know yourself, to be helplessly provocative and seductive or brashly domineering. And he predisposed men, don't deny this, guys, he predisposed men to be timidly passive or harsh and demanding, sin distorts God's design in either direction. Those are the extremes. He predisposes us both that way. Sin does that. It distorts us into people that we were not designed to be. 
And our culture has capitalized on that. Uh, the world has capitalized on that and jumped on that, confused us and taken it even further sometimes to the point where we don't even know what our identity is anymore. And don't dare talk about it because, man, here's why I know this. Because wherever life in Christ has, been, has become deeply rooted in culture, wherever life in Christ has flourished, all right, the treatment of women, it's improved. You know this because you have some glimpses of the dismal plight of millions of women today hidden away in cultures around the world where Jesus is not known, where Jesus isn't trusted, and where Jesus isn't followed. Women are treated terribly in those places. But women were respected, are respected where the gospel grabs a hold of things and changes uh, and takes root. Wherever his word and his gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ takes root, men treat women with respect and they take hum humble, courageous initiatives to protect women and to create stable and loving families where fa the faithfulness of a husband, uh, of husband and wives display the mystery of Christ into his church, into the world. Now, it's not perfect, that's for sure. You got a lot of work. Right? Some of the statistics inside the church are just the same on the outside of the church regarding faithfulness and things like that. But by and large, we know that it's different. Now, I'm gonna preach a whole nother message. I almost got off on that. I get... And we're gonna, I'm gonna open that up in September. We're gonna, we're gonna go back into the Old Testament and teach through Genesis, actually. And uh, I'm going to dig into that a little bit more. So if I stung you today, just keep coming back. It's really not me. I don't believe that at all. The people from town, let's keep going. The people from town, something else is going on here. Look at verse 30. They went out, uh, they went out of the town and were coming to him. Then comes the interruption, right? Meanwhile... And the coming of the townspeople pick it up, pick up again, right? So look at verse 39, uh, starting in verse 39. Now, many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the report of the woman who testified. Remember, she's not respected at all. But they, they're believing because of her story. Now, that's change. He told me everything I did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they began asking him to stay with them. I mean, there's obviously something going on here. Would you, would you stick around for a while with us? He stayed um, two days, right? And because of his word, many more believed. And they, they said to the woman, no longer do we believe because of your words, for we've heard for ourselves. And we know that this one really is the Christ, this, the Savior of the world. So the most important thing to see here is that first the woman's word leads, to, leads people to faith. And then Jesus' words lead to more faith. That should be our pattern and our habit as well. Your words, your testimony, your story. If you just tell people your story, I'm telling you, people will come to faith in Christ. Be, Jesus is going to do this as well. Tell them about Jesus, explaining people to Jesus. So then Jesus' Jesus's witness is in verse 41, and because of his words, many more believe. So... Then they're both mentioned again in verse 42. First, the woman's testimony, no longer, you know, 
because of your words and Jesus' testimony we've heard for ourselves. So they believe that Jesus is Savior of the world. He is Messiah that's coming into the world and will rescue people from their sin and from judgment, right? That's the amazing result of Jesus' trip to Samaria. Went to a difficult place on purpose. A spiritual awakening is happening in the town of Sychar. An unlikely, sordid, messy woman becomes the way people turn to the Jewish Messiah, even though they're not full-blooded Jews. That's why there's all this racial tension going on. This should encourage us in the pluralistic, religiously, ethnically diverse world that we live in. God has a people in Samaria, and he has chosen unlikely people to reach them. And maybe he's choosing you, and you're like, ah, what, what can I do? I hope that's the way you're thinking, because that's what he wants to do. He wants to use unlikely people. What's happening is that Jesus is acting like God as well. Something deeper is going on. Something deeper. That's really my next point. Between verses 27 and 30 at the beginning and, and, and verses 39 through 42 at the end. There's some really important words and Jesus explains to us something deeper about what's happening here. With the woman and with the townspeople, what's happening? He's revealing who he is. He's God. He's Messiah. And then the disciples tell him to eat in verse 31. Rabbi, you got to eat something. And he says he has food they don't know about. And they're perplexed, as they should be. He responds with almost incomprehensible words in verse 34. My food is to do the will of the one who sent me and to complete his work. Who talks like that? Right? What? I mean, he's a rabbi, and they, rabbis kind of talk like that. They're always full of mystery in the way they teach and all that kind of stuff. But this is like, what? Food is what you need in order to work. Food is what gives you strength to work. So Jesus is saying, I'm strengthened to do what God has given me to do by doing what God has given me to do. My source of energy for doing God's will is doing God's will. Who talks like that? Well, God can talk like that. Humans need a sources of power from outside of ourselves. God gets his source of power from within himself. As a man, Jesus got tired. He got thirsty. He got hungry. He needed food like the rest of us. But as God, his power to act was to act. See how he's revealing who he is. Messiah. I think this is profound. I think it's why... People start going, wow, he is the savior of the world. He's human, but more than human. He's revealing himself. There's something more specific implied here that's going to make the connection with verse 35 and 36 make sense when he says, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me and to complete his work. What is the will of the one who sent him? God's will for Jesus, the work he gave him to accomplish is to give eternal life. Jesus gives eternal life. It's the most important thing you can tell somebody. Jesus is the one who gives eternal life. Listen to John 12, 49. For I have not spoken from my own authority, but from the Father himself who sent me as, uh, sent me, has commanded me what I should say and what I should speak. And I know what that, that his commandment is, eternal life, life forever. 
John 6, 39, now this is the will of the one who sent me that I should not lose one person, uh, one person of everyone he has given me, but raise them all up at the last day. So when Jesus says, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me and complete his work, he means my food is to give eternal life. Remember, they're like, what? They're thinking about food. And he's like, no, you're not quite connecting the dots here. I give life because I am life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You heard that verse? It makes more sense now, doesn't it? I'm life. My food is to be what I am. I am life. I'm living water. I'm bread from heaven. I don't just eat food. I am food. I don't get life. I give life. It explains the strange direction in his words, right? In verse 35, don't, don't you say there are four more months and then comes the harvest? I tell you, look up and see that the fields are already white for harvest. The one who reaps receives pay and gathers fruit for eternal life. So the one who sows and the one who reaps can rejoice together. Now he's bringing it all together. Why? Because Jesus is reaping eternal life right here. That's what he's been doing with this woman and through her and the people in this little town. And he is so free and so sovereign. He's not dependent on the usual four months where you plant it and then you got to wait to reap it. Jesus is sowing and reaping all in one event. God can do that. Humans can't. God can. And that's what the messianic age is to be like, according to the prophet Amos. Yeah, the prophet Amos, he has this great vision. Look at Amos 9, 13. Watch this. May not have even read this little uh, uh, book here. He says, be sure of this. The time is coming, says the Lord, when the plowman, that's the sower, will catch up to the reaper and the one who stomps grapes will overtake the planter. Juice will run down the slopes. It'll flow down all the hillsides. Jesus is showing his guys, his disciples, and he's showing us that these are the beginning of those days. I am Messiah. I bring, I'm bringing in the messianic age. It's begun. And he says at the end of verse 36 that he's already reaping the fruit for eternal life with none of the, the gaps, the four-month gap thing. Sower and the reaper can rejoice together. Sowing and reaping are one event. So that is the taste of what Amos saw. Sower and reaper, my last point. He's a sower and reaper at the same time, and he's orchestrating the entire event by working as sower and reaper, speaking the word and reaping its fruit. Jesus concludes with verse 37 through 38 by drawing the disciples into his work. And that's his mission and mandate for us, to draw us into his work. So that's why you have to be in God's word and pay attention and know it and understand it and not be ignorant of it and not be blind of it Verse 37, for in this instance, the saying is true, one sows and another one reaps. I sent you to reap what you did not work for. Others have labored and you have entered into the labor. We're connected right here, right? In other words, you're going to share in the reaping. But others have labored before you. Who are they? I think the answer is this Samaritan woman. Jesus has been sowing and reaping with his word and gathering fruit for eternal life as the great reaper. 
Not the Grim Reaper, by the way. And the woman has begun sowing with her words to the townspeople. See what a big deal this lady is. She's, she has changed. This is huge, isn't it? Her, her words, her story. See how important your story is? Man. That's why the story returns to verse 39, to the testimony of the woman and then the testimony of Jesus. Your story should be just like that. Let me tell you how he changed me. I don't know how he did it, but he knew everything, and I am totally a new person from meeting this guy, Jesus. Remember, the townspeople believe because of her word. This is somebody not respected. And then her words are changing everybody. This is the labor of others that the disciples enter into. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. So now you can go, wow, I, I think I understand what this has to do with you and me. He's the son of God, Jesus is, the savior of the world. I get what his food is. It's all about eternal life. And I'm included in that mission. I got a lot, I, I, I have a job. I got a job. All of the work is important. This is why it's so important then that we connect reading God's word together with praying. Because we're blind, we can't see it all straight. And we gotta ask, we need the Holy Spirit of God's help to see it all and to connect the dots. Thank you, Lord, today for the pictures that we get to see of our blindness. We don't wanna be blind, we wanna continue to be blind, Lord God. So we're asking for your Holy Spirit to open up the eyes of our hearts so we can keep seeing and understanding the glory of your son, Jesus, and why you sent him and what he's all about. Thank you for his compassion and his love and his mercy, in particular on this woman, and how he didn't just focus on her stuff and her sin. He pointed it out, no doubt, Lord, we all got sin like this. But he said, I can change that. I can wash it clean. That's why I came. Wow, Lord, this is what we need. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to pray with somebody, they're right here. Don't be afraid to come pray with somebody. Have a great day. I'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Bale Christian Church Podcast. If you have any questions, would like more information about our church, or would like to see the video cast of this message, please visit our website at www.dalechristian.com.